0: A few announcements to you this morning, uh, just by way of reminder, since uh, one of you already know some of these things, but uh, coming up uh, next Sunday, uh, October 22nd, uh, we will have a, a kind of a commissioning service uh, for, uh, for the Gallantons. Uh This is uh, uh, sadly our, their last uh, week uh, with us, and so uh, we want to just make uh, next uh, week's service a special and uh, and so I hope that you will be able to come to that. And following that service, uh, we will have a, a lunch downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, so if you have not uh, been able or have forgotten to sign up to bring anything for that lunch, uh, please uh, please consider doing so. Uh, there is a sign up sheet down in the fellowship hall. And also if you are and if you're at the church and you are on uh, our Slack, uh, you can go on there and sort of browse uh, through the church Slack channel to be able to. Uh, sign up to bring something for that Sunday. Uh, October 27th, which is a Friday, is a hymn night, so uh, hymns only uh, for that Friday night. And what time was that at again? 6.30? 6.30. 6.30 p.m. here at uh, the church and followed by some uh, some light refreshments after that as well. And then uh, lastly, November 4th, which is a Saturday, is our Good Works Day beginning at 9 a.m., uh, so if you are able uh, to uh, spare some time on that Saturday to be able to go to, uh, to someone's house to be able to help with a project or with whether it's raking leaves or other things, uh, we do need more people to be able to help out with that. We have plenty of houses to go to but not enough hands to help out. So if you are, if you can make some time available that Saturday, November 4th, uh, beginning at 9 a.m., uh, please make sure that you let Caitlin know because this will help us to determine uh, who gets sent where, and how many people are get sent uh, to each house uh, to help with these uh, various different projects. So, uh, those are all the announcements I have. Uh, uh, we will do uh, something a little special later on during the service, have a time for a child dedication, which I do look forward to, but let us right now just prepare our hearts to worship the Lord, uh, to worship Him uh, for the grace that He has freely bestowed upon us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, let us. Uh, my prayer is that we might be encouraged, strengthened as we go about the rest of our week, uh, rejoicing in the God who has given us salvation, and that we may continue to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord as we continue to fix our eyes on Him, and especially doing so this morning. So let's go before the Lord and let us worship.
1: Amen. Church, let's stand and do just that. Let's worship. But before that, let me read out of God's Word. It says, "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Now let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful, amen.
2: Remember, let's worship. Let's sing together. What love? What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all know. He counts not their sum Thrown into a sea Without bottom or shore Our sins they are We. the dead we could never
1: Father, you are worthy, worthy of our praise this morning, God. Father, as we sing these words that we need you, Lord, I need you. As we come and confess, bowing before your presence, God, understanding where we stand. May we also understand in whom we stand. Lord, humble our hearts this morning, God, to receive your word. May we be encouraged, God, and be reminded of your great love and mercy for your people. May we be reminded, God, of the greatest sacrifice ever given by your son, Jesus, on the cross. May we be reminded, God, of the new mercies that you graciously give us each and every morning. God, as, as a song, as, as we just sang, when temptations comes our way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Because Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, how be- what beautiful words that we just sang to express, God, the work that you have done on the cross for your children. May we be encouraged, God. Bring us to your feet this morning, God. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be uh, dismissing our children to their classrooms as well.
0: We are deviating a bit from our regular routine it's Sunday morning. So this today, we're actually going to go straight into the Word of God. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, uh, you're welcome to uh, read along with us. In the screen uh, behind me, uh, there's also uh, should be a Bible in. Underneath the seat in front of you as well we are opening to first Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through eleven and we've been working through the book of Acts and taking kind of a short break from the book of Acts for this week and next week and uh, could argue that actually the topic of today's sermon is uh, has very much to do with the book of Acts, especially with the book of Acts uh, focusing so much on evangelism, the gospel, uh, the call to believe in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And by the Spirit of our God, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we are saved not by any works done in righteousness. But if anyone is saved, is saved through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And through that work, Lord... Not only is the identity of the person changed, but their entire life, their complete walk is changed through the application of Jesus Christ's finished work and faith in that work. Lord, would you help us this morning to continue to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, Help us to walk in a manner that glorifies you. Give us your grace. Give us your strength. Help us. We plead this morning, help me, Lord, to communicate your word with humility and with clear words. Bless us, Lord, and keep us as we continue to worship you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. J. Gresham Machen, a professor of New Testament in Princeton in the early 20th century, during his time there led a kind of revolt in that in Princeton because of the liberal drift of the seminary and went on with others to form Westminster Theological Seminary. And he carefully analyzed the liberal movement that still identified itself as Christianity amongst evangelicalism and he Authored a book titled "Christianity and Liberalism," and in essentially the premise of the book is that what we have here is not one religion, but two very different religions, both identifying themselves as Christianity. He writes, "It's no wonder then that liberalism is totally different from Christianity. For the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases upon the Bible both its thinking and its life. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. So two different religions, two different foundations, both producing very different results. And at the heart of this foundation is two opposing views of some significant things that the Bible has a lot to say about. One of those things is the doctrine of sin. Probably one of the most hated uh, words in Western society and culture. And after that comes one of the most, I think, one of the most absent words in many Christian pulpits and Christian understanding and is the word repentance. You cannot have A solid understanding of repentance without a solid understanding of sin. And while today's sermon is not focused so much on the topic or the doctrine of sin, we'll get there a little bit, but this has very much to do with the doctrine of repentance. We'll be carefully considering what is repentance? What does repentance require? Why is repentance necessary in the gospel and in Christian living? So, firstly, repentance and the new nature. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptizer in the wilderness, and it tells us in the scriptures that the Spirit of God came upon him, descended upon him like a dove, and then immediately that same Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil as he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And after coming through those temptations, it tells us that he began his ministry. And how did he begin that ministry? by going out and preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom is here. And the kingdom is here because the king has arrived. When, in the story of Robin Hood and his men, when King Richard finally returns from war, he returns with some of his men, and they're all incognito. And then Robin Hood and his men take these men to just be strange men. They take them, they, tr- they speak to them roughly, they treat them roughly, until finally King Richard has had enough. He removes his disguising garments and reveals the crest of King Richard, the lion-hearted. And at that moment, Robin Hood gets on his knees and he says, My liege. It was a moment of repentance. This is what Jesus means. When he goes out into the wilderness, he begins to preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it is time to turn to the king, for the king has arrived. And the apostles, after Jesus ascends on high, the right hand of God, and before doing so, he commissions his apostles to go, and they go and proclaim the gospel. They say that same message, they proclaim that same message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Turn, turn from your ways, turn from your faithlessness, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ Jesus. And what makes repentance so necessary, why the gospel message is a message of repentance, is because sin makes repentance necessary. If there was no sin, there would be no need of repentance. One day the saints will see the face of Jesus Christ They will be welcomed into the heavenly paradise and it is a place where there is no such thing as repentance because there is no such, such thing as sin. But while there is sin in the world, there will always be a need for repentance. Many times in the book of Acts, the apostles proclaim that message and they say, turn, turn to Jesus Christ. Acts 3.26 The apostles say, God, having raised his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What is repentance? Repentance is a turning away from wickedness and a turning towards Christ. It's a 180 degree turn, not a 360 degree turn to end up exactly where you were before, but it's a complete turn from one direction to the other and when the gospels when Jesus, when the apostles say repent one might ask well why doesn't he say believe right, for Christians we believe that we are saved through Jesus Christ alone by faith alone and not by works what is this work of repentance why is it the message repentance repent "Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand is because repentance assumes belief, because you cannot say that you believe in Jesus and not repent, and you cannot say that you repent without believing in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, in this passage that we've read, embedded in here is conversion, being born again through Jesus Christ, and also this subject of Repentance. It names all these different sins, all these different vices. and then the apostle says, "As such were some of you." He doesn't say, "As such are some of you, but as such, some were some of you." Past tense: This is not who you were or who you are right now. this is who you were. And now you are someone different in Christ Jesus. This is hugely important. Because without repentance, the words of 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 is not a reality. Without repentance, it would just simply say, and such are some of you. Many of you are familiar with Andy Stanley. He's stirred up some waters recently in the past few weeks. He hosted in his church an LGBTQ conference. And while he says that he believes in the biblical view of marriage, at the same time, he says something contradictory. He says, these are his his words. He says that gay Christians choose a same-sex marriage not because they're convinced it's biblical. They read the same Bible we do. They choose to marry for the same reason many of us do, love, companionship, and family. And in the end, as was the case for all of us, and this is the important thing I want you to hear me say, he says, It's their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how are we going to respond to their decisions. We decided 28 years ago that we were going to draw circles. We don't draw lines. What's missing here is a biblical view of repentance. Essentially, is saying that such Christians, so called Christians, are still stuck in the as are some of you. Verse 11 is not a reality for them because, according to the scriptures, they're still in their sin. Repentance is a change, it's a turn from sin and the things that God forbids, according to his scriptures, and in turning to Christ Jesus, and the kind of life that that identity comes with. Repentance is a change from one's identity. You once were this, but now in Christ Jesus, you now are this. So walk in this manner. In Deuteronomy 6.21, it points to a change of identity. It's an example. There, the Lord tells fathers to tell their children, say to your son, we were pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. That's not who we, once, that's not who we are anymore. We were once our slaves in Egypt. But now we have been brought out. We were once slaves to sin, but now we have been free, been freed in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore walk as children of light. One's identity is not just defined by who they are, but it's also defined by their actions, defined by what they do. Right? A person can say all day long, I'm an honest person, I'm an honest person, I'm an honest person. But if he is known for telling a lot of lies, he's not an honest person. One time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. A change of identity, a change of nature. And repentance is walking in that change of nature. Colossians 3.12 as part of the new nature, as part of walking in repentance, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Passages like these and others also help to clarify even further what repentance is. Repentance is not just simply turning away from wickedness and faithless living. Ephesians adds in chapter 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so it may give grace to those who hear. It goes on to say, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather do what? Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So repentance isn't just simply refraining from sin or preventing sin or stop doing sin, but repentance is also replacing patterns of sin with godly character and Christ-likeness. Let the thief no longer steal, but rat. Instead, let him get a job. Do some honest work so that he may have something to share with those in need. Don't just let corrupting talk no longer come out of your mouth, but instead replace that corrupting talk with talk that encourages others, that uplifts others, that helps others. This is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel without repentance is no gospel At all. We cannot say of ourselves, as such were some of you, it says in verse 11, without this conversion and repentance. And the passage says that those who are still in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, one of the most unloving things that you or I could ever do is to say to someone that your sins are okay, that God accepts you as you are, that you are allowed, that you are permitted to to live your life according to your feelings because the Lord still accepts you. That is the most unloving thing to do because it just means that they have an excuse to remain in their sin and then never inherit the kingdom of God. Let us never be found in the last day of judgment, coming before the throne of grace, and then having someone next to us, perhaps a dear friend or a loved one, being cast out of the presence of God because of their sins, and then turn to you and say, Why did you not tell me the truth? Why did you not tell me that I needed to repent of this sin? Secondly, repentance and relationship. Repentance seeks not only salvation, right? We repent because we are saved, and we repent because we want to continue to walk in this salvation that's been brought before us or to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but salvation, but repentance is also about relationship. And it's because sin is not only an offense to a holy and righteous God, but sin is a breach of relationship. Hence why, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were cast out of the presence of the Lord. Sin is a breach of relationship, and the whole story of the Bible is how does man get reconciled with God? How can man have a right relationship with God? And so there is this continual call in the Scriptures to turn, turn, or return to the Lord. Zechariah 1, 3 Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Repentance is the gateway into relationship. The psalmist in Psalm twenty five, sixteen, please before the Lord. He says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Why? Because I am lonely and afflicted. Turn to me, Lord. Restore me, heal me, protect me. I am lonely. Come to me and comfort me. Repentance is about relationship. We repent because we want to be in relationship with Christ Jesus. Repentance is the Christian way of running into the arms of Christ. And in those arms, finding acceptance. When there is remorse, when there is regret, when there is spirit-wrought conviction for sin, the guarantee of Jesus Christ in the gospel is that anyone, if anyone turns to Him, they will never be cast out. No matter how grievous the offense is, if one turns to Jesus Christ in repentance... The promise is that Jesus will never cast you out. Repentance is not only the gateway into relationship, but it's also the way of continuing in relationship. We walk in repentance because we want to maintain a deep fellowship and communion with Christ Jesus because we understand that sin is a breach of relationship. And this isn't unfamiliar to any of us. If someone offended us, especially if it is a loved one, there's a breach of relationship there. You're not as emotionally close to that person until something is done to rectify the situation, until there is a, a recognition of wrongdoing, until there's a recognition of offense. So similarly... We repent and walk in repentance because we want to maintain and walk in close fellowship with Christ Jesus. When you look at one's hands, you can tell some things about the person. Someone has rugged hands, callous, they're rough. You can immediately tell this person works with their hands. Maybe you do does construction for a living. Maybe they do a lot of construction kind of things on the side. So maybe they are a mechanic or so forth. And some who have, don't have the calluses or the rugged hands have softer hands, not trying to offend anyone's masculinity if you're a man, if you have softer hands. But you might say, reasonably conclude, well, they probably work behind the desk. Perhaps they do a lot of office work. But when it comes to the Christian, Jesus will one day look to see the hands of his beloved saints. And his beloved saints will have rugged hands, will have calluses in their hands. They'll have dirty hands, they'll have muddy hands, they might even have some broken nails. Why is that? Because they are always putting their hands to the plow and digging deep into the soil of their lives and their hearts. Looking, seeing if there is any sin that needs to be rooted out, and they dig deep into those roots and pluck them out. But those Christians with the softest hands are those who are not engaged in the hard work of repentance. The passage, 1 Corinthians 6. Tells us what is the consequences of unrepentance? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The Lord gives the church a process of disciplining those who are walking in unrepentance when they are gently confronted. And they are pleased to repent of their sin, and someone is still attached to their sin. They're unwilling to let go of their sin. They relish in their sin. They want to continue to walk in their sin. They're commanded to put them out, separated from the church, no longer under the hedge of grace and protection in the church, but instead delivered over to the world in the hands of the devil, so that, Lord willing, they might one day still find salvation. Worse than that, whether one is in the church or outside of the church, if there is no repentance from their sin, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, but only have the wrath of God abiding on them until it comes down upon them. Repentance turns those who are once enemies of God into friends of God. But without repentance, those who are enemies of God remain as enemies. So that if you then, if you want the friendship of God, then you need to stop being friendly with sin. Thirdly, repentance and the whole man. There's a behavioral nature of repentance. I like the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Verses five through ten. Zacchaeus was wanting to see Jesus. There was crowds, and he was too short to see everybody, so he climbed up on a tree to be able to hold and behold Jesus. Luke nineteen five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw, it, when the crowds saw, it, they grumbled. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus in response says to him, Today salvation has come to this house. The story is not prescriptive, and in part it is prescriptive, but in part not prescriptive. There's Zacchaeus. You see, you see here the behavioral nature of repentance. He says that if I have defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold, and half my goods I give to the poor. There's nothing, it's, not pre, it's not intended to be read prescriptive, as in like we're all supposed to do the same thing, give all of our possessions to half the poor. But what's prescriptive is the nature of his repentance. He saw Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to get close to Jesus. There was nothing here about trying to earn Jesus' favor and salvation. He just wanted to be with Christ. And he understood that in order to be with Christ, he needed to repent of his sin. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present what? Your arms? No. Present your minds? No. Present half your body? No, it doesn't say that either. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Repentance requires your entire being. Jesus does not ask for just half of you, but all of you. That is the demand to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus does not ask for 90% of the person or 99% of the person, but he asks 100% of the person to be devoted to following Christ Jesus. When Jesus is having this exchange with the rich young ruler, who says, I've done it all, Jesus. I follow the commandments. And Jesus, the gospel says, loved him. He said, you have one thing lacking. Go home, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. But the rich young ruler was unwilling to do that. Why? The passage says because he had so many possessions. It's not that he had too many to give away. Is that he was attached to his possessions. He was unwilling to let go and free of himself of his possessions and instead attach himself to Christ. And so he was willing to be much more rich with earthly treasures instead of being rich towards heaven. This is what repentance calls for. Repentance is letting go of the things that you find yourself so attached to And attaching yourself to Christ Jesus, it's not that you're not called to love those whom you love. It's not that you're not called to enjoy the things that you enjoy doing, but it is a call to love God first, above all things. And if one is not willing to put Christ first, above all other things, whatever that thing might be, the Lord Jesus says that you're not worthy of me, or the kingdom of heaven. There's not only a behavioral nature of repentance, but there's also an affectional nature of repentance. The greatest commandment in the Scriptures is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It speaks to the effectual nature of repentance, the effectual nature of one's life. You're not just called to obey the Lord, but you're called to love the Lord. With every fiber of your being, you're supposed to love Christ Jesus. And it is this love for Christ Jesus that the seasons everything that we do in our lives. Everything that we do, whether it is at work, whether it is at home, how you parent your children, how you love your spouse, how you engage with your friends, how you conduct yourself out there in the world, what you do with your chores, what you do with your hobbies, whatever the case it is, everything has this sweet-smelling aroma to Jesus Christ because it is born out of a heart that loves Christ Jesus. But without that love for Christ Jesus... One's good works, no matter how good they are, do not give off that pleasing aroma to Jesus Christ. But instead, the Lord finds it repugnant no matter how good the work is because it is done without faith and love for Christ Jesus. Fourth and lastly, repentance in the name of God. Ezekiel 37, the people of God have been scattered among the nations as a form of His judgment because of their unrepentance. Ezekiel 37, 19, the Lord says, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations... Wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So the Lord, as the scriptures make clear, has a concern for his own holy name. And he shows this concern in this passage. The people of God have been scattered amongst the countries, amongst the different regions. They are now foreigners in different lands as a form of God's judgment for their sins and their wickedness and their unrepentance. But now there's a kind of a concern for his name in that as others are seeing the people of God not no longer being in their own land, but now being in strange lands. They're wondering, isn't these the people of God? What are they doing out of the land? And for generations, the story of the Exodus would have been told. People would have probably said, are these not the people who were delivered from slavery in Egypt through miraculous signs to go into their own land? What are they doing now in strange lands? What are they doing in our lands? So God then concerns himself with his holy name and he means to do something about it. Ezekiel 37:22 then explains how the Lord will vindicate his name. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When, through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, and here's how he's going to do it, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. A passage that points forward to the work of Jesus Christ. God intends to vindicate His holiness, the holiness of His own name. The word "vindicate" there in the original language is the same word for holy. So, much, almost like He's saying, "I will make holy that which is holy. I will make holy the holiness of My name." When you have a large group of students, it's the end of the year, time to receive the their diplomas. You might have some amongst a large class that are set out from the many, and these are that you might consider the distinguished ones, distinguished for perhaps excellent character or excellent grades or whatever the case might be. They're distinguished amongst the many. But then let's say that amongst the distinguished, you take another smaller group who are also distinguished amongst the distinguished. These are also distinguished, and you keep doing it back and forth, back and forth, distinguished amongst the distinguished, amongst the distinguished. On and on it goes until finally you get to the one student that is distinguished amongst the rest. This one is on a league of their own. No one else compares to this student. He is distinguished amongst the distinguished. This is the Lord. That There is no other like him. There is no other besides him. That no one else compares to the Lord. And so he means to set himself apart from everything and everyone else. And how does he intend to do this? One way that he does this is through judgment. By delivering his people to the judgment that they deserve because of their unrepentance. But another way that he does this is through salvation. It's through saving them. Providing deliverance. Showing his Mercy, showing his grace, showing his compassion for those who are wayward. That's a way of wooing them back to himself, to so where he can say, Return to me, and I will return to you. Romans fifteen eight, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the gentiles might glorify God for his mercy i said it's written therefore i will praise you among the nations and sing to your name a passage that shows how god vindicates his own name by giving gentiles his mercy and because of that mercy people worship revelation 15:4 Says, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Pastors that points forward to God's vindication of his own name through salvation, all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed, namely through the cross of Jesus Christ, that one day all nations will recognize the work of Jesus Christ, and they will acknowledge it and they will worship. Jesus, after Judas had left the group, goes into the darkness to carry out his plan of betrayal. Only moments later, as he's continuing to talk and pray with his disciples, he says, God, the Father, Glorify your name. And from there, Jesus then goes to the cross. And at the cross, we see God's vindication of his own name through judgment and salvation. Judgment and putting upon Jesus the consequences that our sins deserved. And in that way, showing that God is indeed holy and righteous. And at the same time, in Christ Jesus Showing the vindication of his own name through salvation, because it is in Christ Jesus that we are saved. That it is in our faith in Christ Jesus that we are forgiven of our sins and we are cleared of the debt, the eternal debt that we owe to God, and no longer guilty of the wrath that we deserve. So, what is repentance? Repentance is God's mean of vindicating His own name. And how does He do this? By putting into those who believe in Christ Jesus a new heart and a new spirit so that they are then able and willing and wanting to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that they are then wanting to live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. To say that one is a Christian yet failed to repent is to bring disrepute on the name of God. Therefore, anyone who believes that unrepentance is necessary and anyone who preaches that repentance is unnecessary has no concern for the holy name of Christ. So then the question then becomes, how are we honoring God's holy name? What does a repentance look like? It's a very personal question because it can be a pretty convicting question, especially if it's not a question that you normally ask yourself. What does my repentance look like? What should it look like? For some, if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11 is not a reality for you. Instead, the passage says, as such are some of you. It would be a most unloving thing for me to tell you that your repentance is not required. I would have to really hate you to tell you that you do not need to repent of your sins. But If you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, And I am lovingly telling you that you need to believe in Christ Jesus. That you need to repent of your sins because otherwise you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because otherwise you will not see eternal life. Because otherwise you will only have the wrath of God waiting for you. Turn to Christ Jesus in faith and repentance and you will be forgiven of your sins and you will receive eternal life. But if you can look at verse 11 and confidently say, as such were some of you. If you can confidently say, I once was this, but now I am this. Praise be to God. You have been saved. Now continue to walk in that salvation. So we must ask ourselves, are we repenting? Are we constantly calibrating the compass of our hearts so that it is always pointing to the north that is Christ Jesus? The will of man is always bent inward, and through Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God, we are enabled and strengthened to continue about the work of taking the iron bar of our will and continuing to bend it and straighten it. And that is a sign of life and a work of repentance. And when it comes to repentance... Let us not be content with just simply behavior modification. We're not just simply looking to change our behavior or to look more presentable to Christ Jesus. Remember that repentance has an affectional nature to it. When a soldier is out in war and he gets shot and he's bleeding, he's taken to the doctor, The doctor will not be doing his job if he just simply closes the wound and leave it as it is. He's doing the soldier no good. He's still in pain. He still could very well die as that wound continues to fester underneath. But no, his job is to go and examine the wound and carefully look and find the lodged bullet and take it out because that will only produce healing. Only then can he put the wound back together and stitch it back together. We cannot be content with simply behavior modification because it does not get to the root of the matter. If all we're doing is removing the weeds from the surface, it's still growing underneath. No, we have to get down to the root, put our hands deep and pluck it out. That is the work of repentance and that is a sign of life in Christ Jesus. And perhaps as you're considering these questions, you may not be immediately aware of any known sin that you need to repent of. The Scriptures call us to examine ourselves. Look carefully at ourselves. Are you about the work of regularly checking yourself? praying that the Lord might reveal any sins in your heart, in your life, that you need to repent of. At my house, you might as well call me the treasure finder because when anything is lost, the one person that gets called is me. Dad, can you find me this? I lost my stuffy. I lost my toy. I lost my money. I lost this. I lost that. Dad, dad, babe, hun, can you help me find this? Can you help me find that? And, I'm not so arrogant to say 100% of the time I find it, but I'm pretty close to 100%. I find what's been lost. I look, and I look, and I look. I turn things over neatly because I am a neat freak. I try to think of where was it last seen. I try to think about, well, what's one place that no one has looked yet? And oftentimes, most of the time, I find it. And I, in fact, it's actually become quite a lesson in my home to teach my children learn to look. If you've only been looking for five seconds and you haven't really been looking, look, look, look. You need to keep looking. You need to be diligent in looking. Are we that diligent in looking in our own selves, in our own lives, in our own hearts to making sure that there is no roots of sin that we need to repent of? We need to look diligently. John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, writes Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. So then, let us not play friendly with sin. Let us not permit the culture, or even any teachers or Christian pastors, to permit us to compromise our definition of repentance. Those most concerned for themselves and those most concerned for their own souls are those who repent the most. And those who repent the most are the most concerned with God's holy name. Let me pray for us. Lord, the Christian life is not easy and your scriptures never give us any hint that it is supposed to be easy lord in recognizing these things and admitting this lord would you give us your grace because one of the most difficult things about living as a Christian is this hard work of repentance. Lord, repentance, as you know, because you know us, and you understand us, and you see us, repentance can be messy. Repentance can be ugly. Lord, but let us, help us to not avoid this work, but help us to give ourselves to it we have been graciously brought into relationship with you. So let us, help us, Lord, to not allow any sin in our hearts to breach that relationship so that we might, there may be distance between us. Even though we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else, Lord, we desire growing communion with you. So help us to put our hands to the plow and be about this hard work Help us to not deny it. Help us to not deny it when we proclaim the gospel to others. Help us and give us strength. Give us a greater concern for your holy name by walking in a manner that is pleasing to you in a way that shows our gratitude for what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen, church. Let's stand Uh, sing one more song together in response of uh, today's message. What more fitting is to sing amazing grace together. After that word, amen. Father of grace, full of grace. Lord, I pray that you may humble your people for the sake of your holy name. Lord, as we heard today, give us, Father, a heart of repentance. God, that we may turn from our sin and instead seek your mercy and forgiveness. Father, may we be a people that glorify your name. May we confess that Christ is Lord. Pursuing holiness as we honor your name, Father. And God, may we as we heard, examine ourselves. So we may walk in confidence knowing where we stand, in whom we stand. So God, teach us. Teach us, Lord, to turn, repent, to stand in your grace, confidently in your grace, Lord seeking communion with you, Father. You're worthy of our prayers, God. We worship you. In
0: Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You could take your seats. I want to conclude uh, with something special. uh, And that is, uh, we're going to have a a child dedication. So if you are uh, those families... uh, uh, that I've approached uh, beforehand, if you would. Uh, you can start making your way up uh, and then joining me up here on the platform. Uh, child or children dedication is uh, it's a sweet thing. Uh, there's nothing in the scriptures that uh, command it. Uh, there's nothing, this whole no passage of scripture that says, uh, Thus says the Lord, you shall uh, dedicate your children. Uh, and yet, this is something that is a uh, sweet to do. Uh, it is something. Uh, that has been done historically in the life of the church, and uh, child dedication uh, simply is a, is a kind of a commitment uh, as a church we don 't believe that uh, in dedicating your child that they are immediately um, that they are immediately members uh, of, of the church of Christ uh, we don 't believe that through dedication that, uh, that there's sort of this infusion of, of faith and grace in the life of the child there 's still very much a uh, need to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as soon as they Reach that level of uh, of cognitive understanding. But it is an opportunity uh, for parents to express uh, a commitment to their own families of raising their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, there the Lord says to his people uh, to speak of the Lord uh, when you rise, when you sit, when you go out, and when you come in. Uh, Ephesians uh, says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but instead raise them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. While uh, child dedication does not uh, guarantee uh, in any way that the child from this moment is, going, uh, is saved. But uh, I do certainly believe and we do believe that uh, when a child is raised in a church, in a home, uh, where Christ Jesus is Lord and the center of one's life, and where parents are committed to training up their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, they put their children in the best position possible to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask uh, them uh, a couple of questions to which, uh, if they agree, they will say, we do. Uh, And this is an expression of their commitment to raise their children in the Lord. And then the last question will be addressed uh, to the church. Uh, And if you agree, uh, then you can just simply respond by saying, we do. And then we will conclude with a prayer. I know, you are excited for this. (laughs) Amen. So first, uh, so for each of you, Uh, for your family. So, we have here uh, Luisa, we have Lorenzo, and then there we have Camila. So, parents, uh, do you commit to training up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Amen. Do you commit to praying with uh, your children and for your children that your children might one day believe on Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? Amen. Now, to you, uh, church family, do you commit to helping uh, these parents in training up their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord and also praying regularly for them as they seek to raise their children in the instruction of the Lord? Amen. Praise be to God. So let me, uh, let me pray for you, and then we'll share a benediction then when we will be uh, dismissed. Amen. Father, we thank you for these precious gifts. Uh, that we have here this morning. Thank you, Lord. You are the author of life. Not only are you the author of natural life, but you are also the author of eternal life. Lord, we pray for each of these parents. Would you help them, give them wisdom, strength, encouragement as they seek to raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Help them, Lord, in those seasons of difficulties, even in those days, in those hours of difficulty. Help them, Lord, to exemplify a Christ-like character in their parenting, in their love for their children. May their children recognize and see the love of the Heavenly Father. Help these parents to point their children to Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with them, to evangelize their children, to disciple their children. And we do pray for each of them, Lord. We pray for Luisa. We pray for Lorenzo. We pray for Camila. God, Save them. We pray that they might believe in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, would you use us as a church to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to give them wisdom? Lord, we cannot be there. We cannot be there to replace their parents, but we are here to encourage and assist their parents. So would you help us, Lord, to be committed to them in doing these things? We worship you. We thank you for these things. May each of these families in their homes, wherever they are, wherever they call them to, you ever call them to, may they always say now and forevermore to the day that you call them home the words of Joshua and saying, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For benediction, Jude 24, 25, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. It's good to have you all here. God bless you. You are dismissed.